This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hello and welcome nope, nope, to nope, D- nope, 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 nope. Three, three, two, three, two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready now. I'm still ready. Three, two, two one, start. start. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, maybe you should just include that. It was gold. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast in which two brothers answer your questions and give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Hank. Uh, The sun is shining here in Indianapolis. It's still kind of cold and I'm a little over it, but uh, I'm doing well. I am happy uh, to be alive. I am grateful to be a Midwesterner. Uh, it's a yeah. good day to live in the middle of the world's 14th best country as measured by <laughs> life expectancy. <laughs> I um, I recently found out that my employees have been making fun of me um, because I put a nose in my smiley faces. Oh, like a little dot? My emoticon smiley faces. Yeah. First of all, I do not emoji very much. No, me neither. Because I was raised in a world where we created our own emojis using whatever tools we had at our disposal. And we called those emoticons. And that's not the same as an emoji. And when people call them emojis, I get offended. But apparently it's okay to just do a colon parenthesis for a smiley face. But colon dash parenthesis they find to be a sign that I am not with the times. I, in general, I, yeah, I've, I believe that emoticons can express the full range of human emotion, thereby rendering emojis unnecessary. I completely agree with you about that. <laughs> However, you are wrong that emoticons need noses. Also, I have an update, Hank, and it's not a good one. 
Okay, what's your update? The United States ranks 31st in life expectancy. <laughs> well, well, uh, let's see where Missoula is on the list, because I feel, like, I feel like we do better than the U.S. as a whole. You should move here. We're behind Chile and Costa Rica and Slovenia. Those are our immediate, uh, the, the people we immediately want to beat. And then we're just ahead of the Czech Republic and the Maldives. Oh, boy. Oh. Okay. Well, I don't well, know very much about those places or the world, but I know about my my emo- said the American noses. <laughs> so let's get back to let's get back to areas where I'm an expert, which I'm is a- that this is how it's done, and that's fi- I don't you can't I'm doing it my way, and I think it looks better, and I think all your weird noseless faces look disturbing, and I just think of Happy Voldemort. I remember the first time I saw an emoticon, like back on CompuServe in the early 90s. And I remember people would explain to me it's a sideways smiley face. And I would look and all I could see for the life of me was a colon and a closed parenthesis. (laughs) And it took me the longest time to to be like, I I literally, as I recall, at least 14 year old me had to turn his head 90 degrees to be like, oh, yeah, I guess I kind of see it. Oh, man. Yeah, well, that makes a certain amount of sense. It is very representational. Speaking of children, Hank, would you like a short poem for today? Okay. Uh, This short poem is by, uh, I believe his name is Niall, age six. It's been making the rounds on Twitter. It's very, very good. Uh, And it's called The Tiger. (laughs) It's written by a six-year-old boy, and it's called The Tiger. And it's about death, but it's also about life and hope and also despair. The Tiger... He destroyed his cage. Yes. Yes. The tiger is out. The tiger by by Niall, age six. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's just perfect. The tiger is out. I think I understand that poem, John. I don't think think that either of us can understand it in its full complexity. Because is the tiger Niall? I don't know if the tiger is Niall. Or if the cage is Nile. <gasps> oh man, what or if the tiger is just a tiger? <laughs> there is always the possibility that the tiger is just a tiger. Oh man. <laughs> Do you want to answer some questions from our, our listeners, John? Yeah, Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Blair, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I have recently come into possession of the American Cheese Society 2010 second place ribbon. I now have the ability to unilaterally declare someone or something the second best cheese in the year of 2010. How do I wield this power responsibly? I don't know anything Uh. about cheese. My friend makes cheese, but it's terrible, so it seems dishonest to give it to him. (laughs) How do (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. That wasn't very nice at all. So you actually have someone in your life who's a cheese cheese maker. Wow. But you... You're denying that person because the cheese is so bad that you feel dishonest. Uh, Yeah, well, there you go. Blair's a very honest person. How do I make sure I don't go crazy with this power? Brie afraid, Blair. (laughs) (laughs) First off, Blair, I just want to correct you about one thing, which is that you say in your question, I now have the ability to unilaterally declare someone or something the second best cheese for the year 2010. In fact, you only have the unilateral ability to declare someone or something the second best American cheese for the year 2010. 
Mm-hmm. Which is very, very different because, as everyone knows, America is thirty-first in cheese. Is I believe that, right, that is correct. Yes, just just behind Costa Rica. <laughs> um, John. Is it a thing that we are now going to have to do where you and I compete to be the best cheese of 2010, or is that nothing? No, we can't compete with each other. That's not part of our brand. Our brand is collaboration and mutual admiration. Yeah, our brand is I really appreciate your AFC Wimbledon news. You really appreciate my Mars news, even if deep down we're probably checking Twitter. Right. It's funny because we started out trying to make fun of each other's news, but the listeners hated that because they like the (laughs) collaboration and mutual appreciation. So if anything, we need to lobby Blair to to have both of us named co-second best cheese of America in 2010. (laughs) But then, unfortunately, take, Blair needs a second ribbon. Well, or take can you take your ribbon to, like, a place that does laser cutting mm-hmm. and just slice it perfectly down the middle so John and I can share it? Or uh, perhaps, I'm just going to throw this out there, a ribbon-making factory and just make a second ribbon. Mm, you can't just make a best cheese ribbon, John. This is the second best American cheese of 2010. If you just went and made a second best American cheese of 2010 ribbon, that would not allow Blair the ability I've got to a few bestow I- that upon everyone in America. I've got a few ideas for this, Hank. My first idea is, Blair, you could give it to your significant other if you have one, and then when it come, comes time to break up with them... Instead of saying, like, I think we need to break up, you could just say, um, I'm going to need that ribbon back. <laughs> you are you are now not the second best cheese. What if you just went to the grocery store and, like, put it on a cheese? <laughs> just like a Kraft Singles? <laughs> <laughs> well, but then you lose uh, the ribbon. Is... I mean, the nice thing about bestowing it upon your significant other until... Uh, and unless right, they disappoint you, is that you get to keep it in the, you know, you get to keep it in the family more or less. Th- that's the only thing I'd say, Blair. This is such a powerful, wonderful thing that's come into your life. Don't let it go easy. You know, like make sure that when you bestow it upon someone or something, they understand that this is temporary and that at any moment something or someone new might become the second best American cheese of 2010. Blair, is it possible that you're the best cheese of 2010? Second best. Sorry. Blair, is it possible that you're the second best cheese of 2010? Like, Uh, that this is why you got it? Like, the universe delivered it to you because of your quality cheesiness? You're so right, Hank. Blair, you've already won. (laughs) It's just that you haven't yet accepted the victory. Blair. No, you, you don't know. You don't know yet that you were once. The second best cheese in America. (laughs) That's right. What you really need to do, Blair, is you need to look in the mirror and realize that you've been looking and looking and looking for the second best American cheese of 2010. But all the while, it's been within you. And you need to Mm. pin that ribbon on your sweater because it's you, Blair. You did it. Just daily affirmations. Walking around. I... I'm a powerful human. I love myself. I have had a positive impact upon the world. I am the second best American cheese of 2010. 
You know how Next like question. when you finish, uh, can I just say one more thing? <laughs> okay, I suppose. You know how when you finish a marathon, or in my case, a half marathon, they give you a, like a medal and you wear that medal all day, but you can't really wear it into the next day because it becomes a little weird. Like at some point, mm -hmm. if 35 yeah. days later you're still wearing your medal, people are like, right. uh, yeah. oh, so you finished a half marathon a month ago. <laughs> the second best cheese of 2010 is nothing like that, Blair. You can wear that ribbon every day for the rest of your life. This next question comes from Ashley, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I will be getting married soon and therefore have been on the receiving end of many gifts that I picked out myself. I am very thankful for all of the gifts, but I'm at a loss when writing thank you notes. How do you thank someone for a gift that you picked out yourself? Normally I would comment on how much I like the gift, but in this case that feels like I'm complimenting myself. How do I show genuine appreciation without giving fake compliments? Also, the wedding is March 10th and will be in a much more interesting part of Arkansas than the clothing store in the middle of a field if either of you would like to come. Toasters and tuxedos, Ashley. Hank, I actually think I have some good advice here because I've written a fair few thank you notes for wedding presents that Sarah and I picked out. And mm -hmm. here is, this was initially something that I, I felt uncomfortable with and Sarah explained it to me thusly and I think she was correct. She said what you say in the thank you note is what you are going to use the gift for mm. in mm -hmm. your new shared right. life. And yeah, that's you tell, what you tell a like. story about how that that person is going to impact and has affected your life. And that that is a, that is a the best like a lot of times the best thanks is like letting people not just saying thank you but saying thank you and and then this is how you have made my life better. What what Catherine and I did is we uh, laser etched the name of the person who gave us each of the gifts on the gift so that we have to think about them every time we use it. Really? Um, and and so like our mixer is named Ashley and our like every one of our fork set just has the name of of my parents, Sydney and Mike on it. Is that true? Um, so no, no. Oh, I was going to say, that's a really lovely idea. But yeah, you thank the person for for what this uh, gift is going to do for your life. And then you transition to thanking the person for whatever they have done for you in your life, which I actually think should be the focus of the thank you note is finding a way to say thank you, Uncle Bax, for all of the great times in Vermont and the wisdom that you've shared with me and the kindness that you showed me and how welcome you've made me feel in your family. Yeah, good Good point, John. I like it a lot. This next question comes from Tanya, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my university is overwhelmed with giant crows throughout the year, and I want to befriend them so I can have a beautiful, intelligent, and slightly terrifying animal companion. I've heard they remember human faces well. Tanya, you are freaking me out right now. I'm just going to tell you the truth, man. I'm, I'm getting freaked out. What are you freaked out by? Okay, Hank, let me just start the question over, because maybe you didn't, weren't listening. My university is overwhelmed with giant crows throughout the year, and I want to befriend them so I can have a beautiful, intelligent, and slightly terrifying animal companion. I've heard they remember human faces well. I mean, have you, have you read uh, Maggie Steve Otter's Raven Cycle? Is, yes. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. That also freaks me out. <laughs> I think that it's great. I, uh, I'm curious if these are crows or if they are uh, ravens, actually. Because do you know the difference between a raven and a crow, John? I bet I'm about to find out. 
So if you see a crow, you'll think to yourself, I wonder if that's a crow or a raven. If you see a raven, you will think to yourself, I have de been deeply seen and am afraid <laughs> of that gigantic animal. That is so true. That is so true. That's a great point. Anyway, uh, Tanya goes on to ask, should I follow the rules and not feed the birds, or should I be a rebel and follow my dreams of having strange animal friends? If I feed them, what else can I do to make them my friends? I thought my question might be relevant to your podcast because crows are symbols of death. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, Tanya. Don't feed the ravens. Don't feed the don't feed the corvids in general. Don't feed any of the wildlife on your on your school campus. Um, Even there are other better ways to make them your friends. I the number one way that I would recommend is bewitching. Well, how to befriend? I mean, I typed in how to befriend, and the the number one thing is a crow. And I don't I don't know. Does Google does it hear me right now? Does it know what I'm talking about? The the so like. Is oh my there, god! It, oh my god! You're not kidding. Yeah. No. Apparently, what? this is a thing. How did so, this happen? Oh, my God. I'm so freaked out. Is Google... Hank, what the flip just happened? <laughs> we just... We both Googled how to befriend, and the first Google suggestion was... Well, oh, maybe crow. that's just the thing Not people like mostly to want befriend to befriend. A human... The frick? <laughs> so, like, we, we have now determined that humans would rather be friends with crows than people. Uh, dogs. Um... Elephants, any other animal, themselves, uh, cats, just gross. I don't know. Maybe befriend is a specific word that, like, you don't say I would like to befriend. How do you befriend a young lass? No. Well, I mean, but you would, how, I mean, why, why, why a crow? Why not? I am so freaked out I can't even talk. Why not literally any other animal species? I don't know. The question is, can you, can you make friends with a corvid? By without food and probably not, but they do like other stuff. So maybe. And the good news is that apparently enough people have searched for this that I'm sure people who are looking to optimize their their blogs for search engines have have written. Uh, there's in fact a Reddit thread right here. There's also on Owlcation how to make friends with crows and on Coyote.es so coyotes with a dot in it. Uh, also making friends with crows on the Corvid blog on the Coyotes blog network. Uh, this this Reddit thread has a number of suggestions. So I don't know. I didn't look this up because I didn't actually expect that there would be a great deal of information on it. But it turns out you're not the only one. You're, in fact, in the majority of people who wish to become friends with a blank. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, I love this. Didn't we have a, a question, or maybe I just read this somewhere, from a person who, who like, the crows think that he's their neighbor? And, I like, it's, like, bringing, I, uh, th like, this guy's presence because his neighbor is feeding the crows? I'm not even in my body right now because I'm so freaked out. I can't remember the past the f or the future or the present. I, I just Googled how to befriend uh, and the first suggestion was crow. I mean, are you using a Google Pixel right now? No, I'm using my my computer. It's a normal. No, I on thought the it phone. was a normal computer, but I guess it's a computer talking, that listens to everything to that me, I say. Are you talking to me on a Google Pixel, the phone? I don't. I don't even know. What What's is, the name of your phone? It's an iPhone 5s. Oh, okay. I was that. 
It's just, it's just that you don't know what phones are called. That's fine. I'm on a Google Pixel, so like now I'm like, are they listening? But you're all the way over there on your iPhone 5S, so I don't know how Google would have this information about you. Unless my phone is like, he's talking to John Green. John Green is Googling in Indianapolis. They're talking about crows. Quick, give them crow results. I don't think that that's what happened, but I'm not putting it past the next level of dystopia that we're headed into. This next question comes from Deb, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently purchased a humidifier to keep my skin happy in the winter, and a thought occurred to me as I began to use it. What would happen if I put pee in this humidifier? Oh! (laughs) This question has a really good plot twist, John. Deb, it turns out this is only the the second or third weirdest thing I've heard today. Well, I'm... (laughs) Awaiting your responses, I, I I guess I should emphasize, Hank, that like there might be no animal on Earth I want to be friends with less than a crow. <laughs> like, okay. While I am awaiting your responses, I promise I will not test it out in the meantime. Vote for Pedro, Deb. Hmm. Uh, I, well, I, Hank, suddenly we have a tremendous amount of responsibility because it is up to us whether Deb puts pee in the, the dehumidifier. Or, wait, is it a humidifier or dehumidifier? I believe it's a humidifier. Ah, uh, uh, yes, that yes. does make more sense. Okay. Yes. Um, Hank, what happens if you put heat, pee in a humidifier? I'm not a scientist. You are. <laughs> this, I mean, it's don't put pee in a humidifier. What's going to happen is most, but not all, of what's going to come out of your humidifier is going to be water. But there probably will also be some ammonia that comes out, and that's not going to smell good because ammonia is one of the more volatile, meaning it's more, uh, it, it evaporates more easily. Um, so basically, hum- your humidifier is trying to create evaporation uh, and to evaporate water, and in that process, it will evaporate other things that have lower boiling points than water, uh, like ammonia. And so your room will probably smell somewhat like ammonia as that ammonia off-gasses the, u- the urea is in equilibrium with ammonia, so more ammonia will be created, uh, and that will continue to create more and more ammonia until all of the urea has been converted into ammonia, or until all of the water is gone, at which point the urea will fall out of solution and become a uh, solid, uh, along with a lot of other solids that are in your that are dissolved in in urine, and that will clog up your humidifier and your humidifier's filter, and you'll have to replace the filter much more quickly. So basically, don't do that. But at least you know why. Hey, Hank, do you know what the first thing uh, that Google autofills if you Google what happens if I pee in a is? What? Humidifier. (laughs) No, it's gas tank. It's gas tank. (gasps) Oh, thank goodness. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Can I pee in a cup and test it later for pregnancy? Uh, Can I pee (laughs) in a bidet? Can I pee in a policeman's hat? Well, it's certainly not recommended. I mean, I guess it depends on if you want to go to jail. (laughs) I I mean, if you, like, order one online, like, get a policeman's hat on Amazon from a costume, yeah, if you you want to do that. uh, That's got to be a line from something. Wait, uh, I read recently that a pregnant woman has the legal right to urinate in a policeman's helmet. what it says it's a it's a question to the guardian newspaper however at this year's notting hill carnival all officers refused my girlfriend this honor on what grounds can they refuse such a request wow 
my favorite response to this by a country mile is somebody who this was a British uh, published in a British newspaper. And uh, my favorite response by a country mile is from Barry, uh, who wrote, surely you must be taking the piss. This is d- high quality Barry Packington. Uh, yeah. Good stuff, Barry. All right, let's move on to the next question. If anybody please, knows a Barry Packington in Nassau uh, in the Bahamas, just give him a pat on the back for us. We appreciated we just, that. Can, can we just go hard, not weird for the rest of the pod, please? <laughs> can we take like a, a real big... tight turn into like <laughs> deep normal? Where is yeah. the... <laughs> just a 180 degree turn back toward normal. I mean... Uh, it was all fun and games when it was just about Blair and her cheeses. <laughs> okay. This next question comes from Jake, who asks, Dear Hank and John, So I was sitting in my math class today, and I was talking to my friend next to me when she began to yawn. I felt it almost instinctual to look away as she covered her mouth. Uh, and then this raised the question, Is it disrespectful to look at someone while they're yawning? I became quite aware of this dilemma throughout the rest of class, and now I'm worried that I'll somehow make someone feel self-conscious if I do look. Dubious advice is, of course, much appreciated, Jake. I mean, I think it's rather bad form to look at someone for more than, say, half a second ever. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know what I mean? No. I mean, not if you're... Well, yeah, if you're talking, then no. That's a, that is a good, interesting point, John. How long can you look at someone if you're not, like, currently in communication with them without it being weird? Which isn't that long. It's not that long. And it's less than a second, for sure. Yeah, and I, I have, in fact, found myself, like, being like, I did that for too long, and I feel now an urge to apologize, which I will not indulge in, because that would make it even weirder. When someone, honestly, when someone looks at me for longer than one second, I immediately say, uh, I'm the one who does history. My brother is the one who is in your chemistry class. (laughs) I just say it. I don't even wait. I did that one time. Because that's the only reason someone would look at me for longer than a second. I did that one time, and I have have not done it since this uh, occurred, because the guy then said, "Uh, no, I need to get to my car. Hmm. Well, that's brutal. That is that <laughs> is about, brutal. It was about the worst. That's happening. He me was on a very few confused, and right. I, and and I also that guy. I I've, I've seen him around. He works at a restaurant in town, and like yeah. now I can't go there anymore. Well, maybe you can, but you'll just be forever known as the guy who wasn't as famous as he fancied himself. <laughs> Well, it's been two years and I haven't been back to that restaurant. So I we'll don't see. think the reason you can't look at someone when they're yawning is because they're yawning. I think it's because when they're yawning, you're like not in conversation with them. And so they're having a private moment. And so you avert your eyes. This is what I do. And admittedly, I don't make much eye contact when I am talking to someone because I, I find it weird, weird and overwhelming. But like, I, yeah, you avert your eyes because they're having this private moment. And then when the conversation re-resumes, you go back it just occurred to me that resumes is there a mm-hmm. word zooms <laughs> can can i <laughs> zoom don't, don't google again hank if i've learned anything today it's don't google just go to bing.com and and type in type in something does bing autofill bing <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't want. Do I don't want to see your auto befriend. Okay, you go to Bing. It says, "How do I befriend someone? How do I befriend somebody on Facebook? How do I befriend somebody on Snapchat?" That's normal, Bing. You're a normal search engine. You don't freak me out at all. What was the question? Uh, if you can resume, can you zoom? <laughs> Yeah, probably. But the point is that once you resume conversation, you can resume eye contact. Anyway, that's my personal approach, but I'm not sure that I'm an expert in this field yeah. since I don't make a lot of eye contact. Well, it's also that like I, like, I try not to yawn while I'm talking to someone, though I understand that you can't always control that. I, and, and it is sort of like, it, it does, it's like there's a pause in the discussion now and you're sort of like, okay, it's... Uh, this is a thing that's happening and it will end. A bodily function is occurring and now it has ended and we can resume conversation. Uh, apparently it means take in Latin, according to Rosiana. Who... Oh, thank you very much. I very nearly tweeted that question, John, but I thank you to Rosiana for saving me the trouble. This next question comes from Jamie who writes, Dear John and Hank, who's responsible for cleaning out the dryer lint trap? Is it the person who is taking their newly dried clothes out of the dryer or the person putting their newly washed clothes in? into the dryer. I'm living with roommates and I don't want this to be a hangers facing outward or toilet paper on backwards situation. It won't matter in the end, Jamie. You're right, Jamie. It won't matter in the end because, of course, we'll all be dead. But it, this is something that matters <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, I check after I take my clothes out, I clean the screen. And, and when I'm about to dry clothes, I check the screen. It is not a intensive chore, the checking of the lint screen and the cleaning of the lint screen. In fact, I kind of like cleaning the lint screen. I like I how like it, it comes off as like a sort of like this, like a semi, semi solid, uh, like holding itself together, like weird piece of fabric that you can pull apart and ball up. And like, I don't, I, I, I like it. So I check every time personally, and I don't find it to be an onerous task. And occasionally there will be a little bit of lint there and I'll be like, sweet, I get to clean the lint tray. Yeah, I also find it enjoyable. I think that my rule of thumb is it's the person when you're loading the dryer, you load the dryer and then you check the lint tray and then you get started. So I don't do it when I'm emptying the dryer. I do it when I'm loading the dryer. I will say, however, that I once met someone who'd collected years and years worth of their dryer lint. Um, mm. And it was a visually impressive thing. You really do build up some dryer lint. I've always, like, I like, like, after after we dry the towels, I always like the dryer lint because it's almost like a tiny towel. <laughs> yeah, it has, like, it's the same color and, you know, it's the same fibers. Uh, why was this person collecting all their dryer lint? Oh, it was, uh, I didn't get a great sense for why, but they didn't, if I, to speak frankly, they seemed like the kind of person who would collect years worth of dryer lint. <laughs> okay, okay, they, sort of more of a character trait than a than a project. Then they were they were an artist, they still are an artist. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're being as non-specific as you can be, which uh, I it appreciate. reminds me that today's podcast is in fact brought to you by artistic eccentricity. Artistic eccentricity. Is it inherent or is it kind of a construct? I'm not sure. This podcast is also brought to you by the tiger. Is <laughs> the tiger Nile? Is is Nile the cage? Is the tiger the cage? <laughs> the tiger. 
The tiger is out, but it's also in because the tiger is also the cage. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by the second best cheese in America from 2010. America's second best 2010 cheese, now <laughs> named Blair. And this podcast is also brought to you by Deep Normal. Deep Normal is <laughs> where we need to be headed. Strong, strong turn into Deep Normal, John. Dryerland is pro- was probably a really good, good deep normal thing to discuss. Though then you ended up in artistic eccentricity in a several garbage bags full of Dryerland. So I mean, still faring well better than um, making friends with crows. Which, by the way, it's not that that's weird. It's the Google autofill thing that freaked me out. This next question, John, it comes from Joshua, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, why is it that computers always run slower when they're first turned on? I always hear that they need to get warmed up, but is that?" A thing? If it is, why aren't we just putting fuzzy socks and knit hats on our computers or giving them mugs of warm tea to help speed them up when we turn them on? Joshua. Joshua? Uh, this is definitely, like, it's it's a car thing, it's a machine thing that they can operate better when they're warm because the oil gets more viscous, uh, you know, your catalytic converter doesn't work as well unless it's heated up. Stuff like that is where this phrase comes from. Uh, but that is not why your computer takes extra time to get going at optimal speed before uh, or after it starts up. That's because there's a lot of things that happen when your computer starts up and all those things are happening. Like all those programs are running, they're opening simultaneously, lots of different things are occurring. And then once your computer is booted up, those things are done happening. And uh, and you don't have to... Your, your, programs that you're running aren't competing for resources with those things. And that's why. I often find when I'm using my computer that it gets really slow. And then I'll go into my task list and I'll notice that I have, you know, 75 different programs running at the same time. And I'm always reminded of this great onion point counterpoint. They used to do this series called point counterpoint where one person with one perspective would write an editorial and then right below that someone who disagrees would write an editorial and then you would have to decide who you agree with. And the point in this particular one was written by an office manager and the headline was my computer hates me. And the counterpoint was written by the computer and it was called I hate that idiot. (laughs) And I always think about that. I always think like, God, why does my computer hate me? And then I go into my task list and I'm like, oh, right. It hates me because I'm being so mean to it. Yeah, I I was once called to a friend's uh, dorm room in college to fix her computer. And I I opened up uh, her, you know, sort of like the hard drive inspector. And she had like 200 kilobytes of space left on her computer. And I was like, where? What? Why? Why? What have you downloaded? And it wasn't that she had like, you know, like 100 MP3s, but she had managed to download part of like 4,000 songs. And she had no idea that she'd done it. Right. And it was just like a, like the, the Napster, because this was in the Napster area, the Napster like partial song incomplete download folder was her entire hard drive. Wow, man, Napster. It's been a man. while. Uh, it's been a while. My my computer currently has seven gigs free out of five hundred because I'm always fighting a war <laughs> against wanting to preserve every movie clip I have ever generated while making Vlogbrothers videos and also wanting my computer to work. That's an ongoing fight that I've been having for uh, eleven years now. 
Well, I'll tell you what, John, I gave up that fight a long time ago, and now just delete everything. All right, Hank, it is time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. All right, John, and the Mars news is pretty obvious this week. Elon Musk put uh, three of his Falcon 9 boosters together um, into the Falcon Heavy, which has 27 boosters, because I just multiplied 9 by 3, and... Uh, that is 20, 27 engines. That's a lot of thrust, John, and was able to prove that this thing works. Two of the boosters uh, landed on land. They came back. They landed almost simultaneously. It was beautiful and perfect, and I can't believe it. Uh, the third, the central stage booster, crashed into the ocean, uh, not even very close to the drone ship it was supposed to land on, but two out of three ain't bad. And uh, and it, the uh, the Falcon Heavy test flight contained, because why not a Tesla Roadster with a man a, a, like a crash test dummy in a spacesuit on it, and uh, and that resulted in some very good pictures. And then the uh, that capsule did its secondary burn, which takes it out of the orbit of Earth and into orbit around the Sun, uh, and that. The the idea was to get it roughly into Mars's orbit, though it wasn't going to orbit Mars, so it was going to be roughly at the same distance from the sun as Mars, going around the sun, uh, not going around Mars, which would have required a lot more careful telemetry and a lot more communications equipment. Um, and so, it, but instead, it turned out that the rocket had enough to get it past Mars's orbit, and it's n- headed for the asteroid belt, John. It's out there wow. now on its way to the asteroid belt. But we have proved that uh, the Falcon Heavy can deliver things to Mars. It just has to be more careful. And also that uh, that this is the first private uh, space flight ever that has taken anything out of Earth's orbit. So that's pretty remarkable. So this means that with current technology, Elon Musk and his company can get stuff to Mars. That is correct. Yes. That's amazing. I know. It's good news, John. Can they news, get people John. to Mars or just stuff? Uh, right now, they can only get people. They can only get stuff to Mars just because the crew capsules have not been built yet. The The Space, space Launch System, which is uh, NASA's heavy rocket, uh, will have a crew capsule that will be ready before the Falcon is ready to launch people. But the way we're going to get to Mars is not all at once. So it's not going to be one, one like with Apollo, you could get everything on one rocket and you could get the, the landing and return all of it on one rocket. That is not how we're going to get to Mars. We're going to have to send things ahead of time to land on Mars so that those things are up and running and probably creating fuel from the Martian atmosphere on the mm. surface of Mars um, and, and also the water on Mars, theoretically, hopefully. And um, and then and then the astronauts will go after that stuff happens. So it is important to have uh, a heavy rocket that can send stuff other than people. It seems like it's going to be hard to do all of that by 2027. Well, you know, John, the world is a great place full of wonder and mystery and, and unexpected successes. So we'll just hold on and see what happens. Also unexpected failures. I really liked uh, something Elon Musk said in the wake of this because he did put his old Tesla Roadster 
into orbit, which is pretty cool. A quick question. When it goes out into the asteroid belt, is it going to get pummeled by asteroids? Uh, probably not. There, no. uh, it's pretty empty out there. But okay. uh, several of my uh, of people I follow on Twitter were like, hey, Elon, uh, can you share the orbit data with us so we can see? Because it isn't just like the question of, is it going to hit something? Which almost certainly it won't. There's just not a lot of stuff in space. But also, how stable is its orbit going to be? So it could mm. end up uh, being influenced by the gravity of Jupiter or doing a gravity assist on a smaller asteroid or something. And, uh, and, and its orbit might change. It might get sent out of the asteroid belt. It might be sent in closer into the inner solar system. In any case, it's not like a dangerous thing. Uh, in general, he mostly it was like, don't actually hit Mars with this thing because there's very specific protocols for things that can land on other planets uh, in terms right. of clean cleanliness and stuff. So right. they didn't want him to actually hit Mars was the main concern, but it's pretty hard to actually get into a planet because you you almost always end up in orbit rather than intersecting because it, it actually, usually you have to slow down a lot for your orbit to deteriorate enough that you will enter a planet's atmosphere. So oh, it's pretty hard to actually get a planet. Oh. Well, I really like the quote that he said uh, after this he, uh, about putting the Tesla it, into orbit. It's kind of silly and fun, but I think that silly and fun things are important. And I yeah. just think that's so true. I I agree. I agree. Speaking of silly and fun things, mm -hmm. I wish I had some to share. Oh, no. AFC Wimbledon, unbeaten in January, didn't give up a single goal. It was our uh, monthus Mirabalis. We <laughs> just played phenomenally. And then in, in February, it's been uh, a monthus Horribilis. Just horrible. Lost 2-0 to, I know I say this wrong, Rotherham, Rotherham, Rot Rotherham, Rot whatever. That team. And then we went to uh, yesterday, as, as we're recording this, we went to bury, like, you know, bury the bodies, B-U-R-Y. And we, <laughs> it was a makeup game. They're the bottom team in League One. They're oh, no. at the very bottom. They're in last oh. place. Oh, no. We lost 2-1. Oh. Very disappointing. And is so your, now... Uh, is your, is your, new, your, new, uh, your new foot hitting, hitting the ball, John? No, Joe Piggott played the whole game he didn't score a single goal oh, very no. disappointing so it's it, it, I, it, I don't know i hopefully feb things are going to take a turn for the better in february we had such a wonderful january and then february so far has been terrible fortunately uh the the, the dons are still above the relegation zone while the franchise applying its trade milton Keynes is still down there uh but it is getting quite tight it's quite tight at the bottom uh the dons are in 19th and only two points clear of uh, Oldham, uh, who are currently the first team in the relegation zone. So, I don't know. 16 games left in the League One season. Here's the basic situation, Hank. There's 16 games left, uh, and Wimbledon need, uh, from those 16 games, around 18 points. So, if we could just win the next six games, we can do whatever we want in the last 10. But we do need to win six more games. All right. Um, how many games are there? I just said there were 16. There are 16 <laughs> left. But it's okay. Uh, you're not the only one not listening. Uh, <laughs> the, 
The thing is, John, that I was looking at this information that was supplied to us by this remarkable person who has created the bath bombardment compartment. Yes, uh, we're going to get to that right now. We, we need to read a couple responses to things. Uh, but before we get to the extraordinary bath bombardment compartment created by Liana or possibly Liana, I need to re- read this response from Stacy, who wrote... Uh, Dear John and Hank, in a recent episode of the pod, Sarah shared her method of tying laces where you wrap the string around twice. You wrap the loop around twice. You know, I'll put a link to a video of it on the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. You don't have to give money to to see the video or anything. And you can see this magical way of tying your shoes that really is a game changer. I recently got new winter boots that kept coming untied, which is very annoying in a snowy Canadian winter. But I started using the Sarah method and my life has changed forever. This is the ultimate shoe tying method. No question. Bring on winter. And it really is the ultimate shoe tying method, although I should say for the record, it is not the Sarah method. Sarah would like it to be clear that the uh, as far as she is concerned, the credit for this method should go to her cousin, Mark. So thank you, Mark. <laughs> I, I've seen people do that and I didn't realize there was a reason for it. Oh, and I used to have shoes that just came untied all the time. And now I have shoes that don't tie. I got mm. shoes that have like a drawstring, basically, and I feel like I, I feel like I live in the like I'm like living in 3018, John. I'm it's the future over here. All right, let's get to this letter from Liana. All right, Liana is a senior majoring in bioengineering, longtime listener of the pod, and has created a blog titled "Re Hank and John," in which I attempt to implement some of your dubious advice into my own life. Um, I have had an amazing time getting out of my comfort zone and trying your incredibly dubious advice. Uh, so there is a a blog. It's at rehankandjohn.blogspot.com. And uh, the in- inaugural post to Rehank and John, none other than creating the bath bombardment. And uh, went swimmingly well. Although it's a little rustic, it is indeed. It is made of a clothes hanger, some rubber bands, a Tupperware that has a lot of holes poked in it, some some more rubber bands. And yeah, you see what happens. The shower goes into the thing and then it dissolves. And then you can take a bath bomb with a shower. This is it's, so it's much there, better John. than I ever thought possible. I mean, this is, even though it looks fairly jerry-rigged together, this is so much better than I ever thought a bath bombardment compartment could ever be. <laughs> it's truly, <laughs> truly magnificent. Uh, since then, Leanna has gone on uh, to attempt cereal dust granola, which is another... <laughs> no. <laughs> Another extraordinarily dubious suggestion, uh, but it looks uh, it, it it looks like she's had a great time. This is a wonderful, wonderful blog. Rehankandjohn.blogspot.com. If you're into the pod, you'll be into this. Yeah, I mean the theory, the cereal dust granola looks great, John. I think. Spoiler alert: loved it. Liana loves the freaking. Cereal dust granola. I like I think I think that John, we we might actually have a lot of very good ideas on this podcast. Oh god, no. Don't encourage him, Leanna, but do keep up the good work. <laughs> Hank, what did we learn today? We learned we learned that Blair is truly the second best cheese of 2010 in America. And uh, we also learned that it's okay to befriend crows as long as you don't feed them to make them your friends. And also we learned that apparently, according to Google, lots of people want to befriend crows. Lots. B- 
But but not but not people who use Bing. People who use Bing want to befriend normal people. <laughs> Which is particularly surprising because people use Bing. <laughs> and lastly, we learned don't pee in your humidifier. Oh yes. <laughs> don't. So glad that we learned that, John. Otherwise, so how would we, we ever it. have known? Um, John, you know what one of my favorite parts of the week is every week? Is it the part where we record This Week in Ryan's, our terrible podcast for patrons at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn? I was just going to say that it's the part where we record a podcast, but yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Oh yeah, it's also one of my favorite parts of the week. Thank you for doing this with me. Thanks to everybody uh, for listening and making it possible. Thanks to everybody uh, who supports us on Patreon and allows uh, us to help make the shows we make it complexly. And thank, thank you for potting with me, and uh, I'm going to let you read the credits. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications. The theme music you are listening to is from the great Gunnarola. He also does the music for This Week in Ryan's, which is available at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn, where you can find out more about the bath bombardment compartment and also about cereal desk granola and also about how to tie your shoes like Mark and Sarah. Uh, thank you all for listening. It's an absolute pleasure, and as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.